Hotel rooms were totally unimportant because people just went there to sleep. And that's something I have learned over time. Not to spend so much money on a hotel in a city because all you really need is a bed and a clean bathroom. Welcome to a new episode of Most Memorable Journeys. So I had left Cyprus feeling a little sad, but I needed a change. I wasn't inspired anymore by beach holiday repping. I hadn't told my company that I was thinking of leaving, but I had told them that I just wanted to do some ad hoc assignments and ideally accompany round trips. Unfortunately, my company that I worked for at the beginning of my tour guiding years didn't have much to offer in this respect. But once in a while, they created a series of like uh, newspaper trips, round trips, which were published in a popular Swiss newspaper. And I had put myself on the list of uh, tour guides to accompany such tours. Anyway, it was autumn and I was tired from the summer season and I had lots of money in my bank account because I had been working nonstop for four years. I went to New York for Thanksgiving and a bit of shopping, met up with Eliane, my friend who I had met here in Cyprus in the summer and who was also traveling around and then came back to Switzerland to get ready for my Lufthansa interview. They had sent me a flight ticket to fly to Frankfurt to spend the day there. And yeah, I spent a whole day at a very modern assessment center and I was interviewed and tested by various people, including even a psychologist. Everything was very well organized, very German. But I was already told while I was there that they probably won't be able to employ me because I was overqualified too independent, and I wouldn't be able to fit in a team and start from scratch, like to be at the bottom of a team chain. I was a little disappointed. And looking back today, though, I don't even know why I ever wanted to become a flight attendant. I just wanted a change. And the universe had other plans for me. But I do wonder how my life would have turned out if I had actually gotten that job and moved to Frankfurt. Don't you ever wonder about such situations? What would have happened if? There are moments in our lives which are crucial and our choices have a big impact on our future. Or as I always say, our life is the result of all the decisions and choices we make. On top of everything, on that day, I couldn't use my return flight to Zurich. They couldn't fly because there was heavy fog in Zurich and I had to take a train and sit on this train for five hours. And that was definitely not a good sign. And of course, I didn't get the job. I went for another job interview in autumn 1986 at the Swiss Hotel in Zurich. I was offered that I could have had that job, but then I didn't want it. I realized that I wasn't ready to stay in Switzerland. And guess what? I got a call from my tour operator that they had published back-to-back -back round trips in a very popular newspaper. And there were lots of bookings. And guess where? 
in Cyprus. So after my glorious departure in November, I was already back in February, even earlier than I would have been for the summer season. And I did about eight back-to-back weekly trips all around the island. And these were one-week tours, and we were staying in different hotels every night in a different hotel. And even though I already knew the island really well, this was different. It was a different experience. I had an amazing time with all those local tour guides who were accompanying us and explaining everything. The monuments, the ancient sites, the museums, the monastery, everything. It was just so beautiful. It was different. I got to know the island even better. Our groups were always bilingual because in Switzerland, we always have guests that speak German and French, sometimes even Italian. And I had to translate all the explanations. I learned so much more. And even though this kind of work was more demanding, and I hardly had any time to myself. I loved it. I loved staying in hotels, and I still do. This was the perfect introduction to the life of a round-trip tour guide. Those eight weeks just flew by. I had learned a lot, met lots of new people, and one of the local guides used to bring her guitar, and we sang Greek songs in the hotel lobby in the evening. She had written out all the lyrics for me. And when people sometimes ask me today why I know all the lyrics to so many Greek songs, I tell them that I was a singer in a hotel years ago. The good news was that many of those round-trip clients had sent back the questionnaire, which I used to give out at the end of the tour. And I had lots of positive feedback. So I was ready for new adventures. And I had been assigned various city tours to Prague, Budapest, Vienna, Lisbon, and Berlin. And so a whole new world was opening up for me. Every weekend, from usually sometimes even Thursday or Friday to Monday, I flew with a group of people to a different city. This was in 1987. And Prague was still the capital of Czechoslovakia, which was very controlled and had a strong bond with the Soviet bloc. I needed a visa and had to send my passport to the embassy. And it was always kind of a a waiting game to be sure that the passport would come back on time to be able to go on the trip. In my time as a tour guide, I used to have to change passports Not because they had expired, but because they were full with stamps. Because in those years, we needed so many more visas. There was no EU and the Iron Curtain hadn't fallen. So it was a very different time. It's quite difficult to understand for young people, I I could imagine. In Prague, we were always looked after by the national tourism office called CEDOC. And their local guides were very somber and no personal conversation was allowed. They used to make me feel very uncomfortable because I love to chat to people and find out about their lives and their families and what they like and what they don't like. And it was always made very clear to me that they were not interested in any such personal conversation. 
Our clients to Prague were mostly men who came there for the nightlife and the beer. And my job was easy because I just dropped them off at the hotel on Friday and picked them up again on Monday. Most of the time I didn't see them all weekend, unless sometimes they were cheated by some black market money changer. Even though I had warned them on the way from the airport to the hotel, these guys who offered to change money in the streets were like circus artists. Their tricks were so well covered that by the time you realized that they had only given you a fraction of the money that they were supposed to give you, they had already disappeared with your good dollar note or Swiss franc note. The temptation to use them was big because they promised an amazing exchange rate. And despite my warning, some people still didn't get it. Everything in Prague was so cheap. I used to go to the Smetana Opera whenever I had the chance, and the tickets were like 15 cents for the most beautiful performances and high-quality artists. I attended Madame Butterfly, Rigoletto, The Marriage of Figaro, and so much more. I don't remember everything, but I, I really had a wonderful time in Prague. It's such a beautiful town, and there was so much to see the castle and Charles Bridge and the old town square and this uh, astrological clock and so much more. I've been back to Prague many times. It's a beautiful place. As we all know, things started changing with the Soviet perestroika, but it took the Czechoslovak communist leader a long time to respond. Only after the fall of the Berlin Wall and the student rallies did they finally let go and Václav Havel was elected president. And in 1993, Czechoslovakia was dissolved and turned into the Czech Republic and Slovakia. And it's called the Velvet Divorce because it all went smoothly. There was no uh, riots and no war. So that was Prague. But Budapest was a different story. And even though the socialist rule in the People's Republic of Hungary came to an end in 1989, they were already quite open in 1987. I remember that I had some very good conversations with our local tour guide Ilona from Ibusts, which was also the national travel agency. She never looked left or right before she said something. She was talking very openly about how much she hated being locked in. In Hungary or in Budapest, we had a different clientele, mostly people who were interested in going on excursions. The city tour of Buda and Pest, there's so much history. The first time I had ever been to Budapest was had been with my husband before. And when he found out that the Empress of Austria and Hungary was nicknamed Sissi, her name is Elizabeth, like my name, but she was nicknamed Sissi, he adopted that name and has been calling me that ever since. Our city trips to Budapest were epic. Visiting the town was one thing. We visited the castle district, the fisherman's bastion, Gelliert Hill, Hero Square, but we also had two excursions on the program, like a day trip to the great Hungarian plain called the Pusta. The funny part of this excursion was that on the way we stopped in a town called Ketchkemet and we were welcomed in this town hall by the mayor 
And of course, that mayor changed every time I went there because I am sure that the real mayor had better things to do than welcome tourists. But it was an attraction. And we were welcomed in that hall and we had to toast to our health and drink Barask, which is a very strong apricot brandy. And the glasses were refilled as soon as the people had finished them. Egesegedre was one of the first things I learned in Hungarian, and it means cheers. The clients used to be a little drunk already at 10 o'clock in the morning. And then the excursion went on to visit an authentic horse farm where we watched a fantastic horse show. And we had goulash soup for lunch, wine, and of course, more barask. There was gypsy music and dancing and people were delighted. The Great Hungarian Plain is a beautiful area to visit. And everyone came back to Budapest in the evening with a full heart. We also had another excursion to the Danube Bend and we visited the town called Estergam, which was the old capital of Hungary, known for a very old, huge cathedral. We visited the castle of Visegrad and on the way home, in, stopped in Sentendre, which is known for its architecture. It was a kind of a, an artistic village, lots of churches, colorful houses and these narrow cobbled street. And there was a main square with little alleys, like alleyways going all over the place full of art galleries and museums and shops. It was a beautiful place. I have been back to Budapest many times since then. I don't think I will ever get tired of it. There was a time later in my life when I had already started translating for the police. And we often traveled on Malev, the national Hungarian airlines, which doesn't exist anymore because their rates were so inexpensive. And whenever we had a stopover, sometimes a bit longer, we always went into town for a few hours because it was, it's always worth going to have a quick look at Budapest. So every weekend I was alternating and going to a different town. I loved it and my desire to see more and more was getting bigger and bigger. There was, of course, Vienna, which is full of history and so much to see. It's a mixture of modern architecture and a blend of imperial sites, all those buildings and the coffee houses, the wine taverns, and of course, this very special Viennese charm. I was organizing tickets for the opera, for the um, music verein, Hofburg. There's a place called Golden Hall, and I was making dinner reservations at many of those known restaurants and coffee houses, cafe houses, as they are called. Things would have been so much easier with a cell phone. And sometimes I wonder, how did we do all this work without one? I also have a nightmare memory of going through the Schönbrunn Castle with a very ambitious local guide who went through every single room and explained every detail and I had to translate everything into French and I was lacking some vocabulary when it came to some of pieces of furniture or handles and stuff. I remember how much I was sweating. Anyway, people loved Vienna. I don't think I ever had a single complaint about anything. 
Hotel rooms were totally unimportant because people just went there to sleep. And that's something I have learned over time. Not to spend so much money on a hotel in a city because all you really need is a bed and a clean bathroom. But then again, having said that, I love luxury hotels. So yeah, and of course, the one another place that I loved going and I, I was sent to was Berlin. I am so grateful to have had the opportunity to visit Berlin before the fall of the wall. I actually traveled to East Germany going through Checkpoint Charlie, which is now a tourist attraction. But at the time, it was a very serious border stop. The difference was crazy, even though I was used to the Eastern Bloc by now. It still shocked me to see that, how can this be possible, that the same people who speak the same language were living under such different circumstances. Berlin was a divided city until the wall came down in 1989. Because at the end of the Second World War, Germany was divided into four zones of occupation under the control of the US, Britain, France and the Soviet Union. Berlin, although it was located within the Soviet zone, was also split among these four powers. The American, British and French sector became West Berlin, which remained an island for many years within East Germany. And then the Soviet sector became East Berlin. The division of Germany and the nature of its occupation had been confirmed by the Allied leaders at the Potsdam Conference in 1945 after the war. But the famous wall was only built in 1961. It was heavily guarded and had many watchtowers and so many people tried to cross it and so many people were killed. I think that many of us, many people remember the 9th of November 1989 when after too much pressure and desire for freedom all over Eastern Europe, the East German government had to give up and people just crossed the wall into Berlin. I will never forget those pictures. It was unreal. And I actually visited Berlin at the beginning of 1990 and got a small piece of the wall, a real one, not the ones that they were selling later on. And last but not least, another part of my city tour assignment was Lisbon. I had never been to Portugal before and remember that I was so happy to see the sea after all these city tours and looking at museums and buildings and Berlin, Prague, Budapest and Vienna, I realized how much I love the sea. I think something happens to humans when they look at the sea. It's this overwhelming feeling of calmness and oneness Looking at the sea gives us the impression of something that goes on forever. Now, Lisbon is situated at the mouth of the Tagus River, where it meets the ocean, the Atlantic Ocean. It is a city with a strong connection to the sea. And it is the only European capital with Atlantic beaches. And of course, Portugal is known for all its explorers like Vasco da Gama, who was commissioned by the Portuguese king 
to find a maritime route to the east. He was the first person to sail directly from Europe to India. Or Ferdinand Magellan, who set out from Spain in 1519 with a fleet of five ships to discover a western sea route to the Spice Islands. And he discovered what is now known as the Strait of Magellan and became the first European to cross the Pacific Ocean. Portugal had colonized many countries in South America. I mean, that's why they speak Portuguese in Brazil and in Africa, but also in Asia. And one of the weirdest places that I have ever visited in my life is Macau, which is now an administrative region of China. But when you walk around the old town of Macau, you get the feeling that you are in Lisbon. But that's a story for another episode. Being in Lisbon meant being in the south of Europe. And that again means people are different. They value family, friends, food, free time, and personal relationships. Maybe a little more than people in the north. They say that people are a little warmer in the south. The Portuguese are very friendly people. And I loved walking around Lisbon, exploring Belém, Avenida, Almirante Reis, Alfama, Baera Alto, and I also love the food. Of course, bacalao, the fish, and any kind of seafood. There is so much seafood, so many restaurants. There's restaurants serving all sorts of food, suckling pig and all sorts of meat dishes. And then, of course, the famous little cakes called pastéis de Belém or pastéis de nata, which are the same thing. It's kind of a custard tart. And you can find them everywhere. The difference is that pastéis de Belém are pastéis de nata produced by the local pastelaria de Belém, supposed to be the place owning the original recipe. And that recipe has been passed to the family running the pastelaria in the middle of the 19th century already by monks from nearby Jerónimo's monastery. I had to Google that and I'm, I just read that to you, but I think it's a little interesting, trivial knowledge. And this is how I spent about three months of 1987, just traveling from one European city to the other with all sorts of lovely clients. Little did I know that later in my life, I would be doing the same thing with the president of the European Police Association, who I accompanied for three and a half years during his term because he was from Cyprus and he didn't speak anything, but uh, he was Cypriot, he only spoke Greek. And I was in his interpreter and advisor, but now I'm ahead of my time. Again, that's material for another episode. Just one last little story before I finish. I was preparing to go to India after these trips. And uh, for the first time, I hadn't had a vaccination for a while and um, I needed to get vaccinated in advance. So the day before I was traveling on another tour to Prague, I went to see my doctor and unfortunately, he hit my nerve in my thigh and it was so painful. I couldn't walk properly for about three days. And I remember dragging my leg through Prague Airport when I arrived, feeling so sorry for myself. 
but more about that and especially more about India. Again, in another episode, there is so much more I have to tell you. We have only just begun. Enough for today. If you are enjoying my podcasts, please share and subscribe to my channel. You can find all the information in the show notes. If you like what you hear and you want to know more about what I do, check out my website www.thesoulkit.com.